everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Four String Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Brady, with my co-host, uh, Mitch, here. Mitch, how you doing on this fine uh, Wednesday evening? Um, I'm doing pretty good. Feels a little bit weird to have our third co-host not here, but he had to go back to AAA, and it's all good. Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, he got option down. Yeah, he got option down. It's uh, it's a real shame. Uh, we appreciated having him. Uh, we replaced him with uh, this chewed on squeaky toy. Um, as you can see, it makes just as good of points. Uh, so we have a uh, we <laughs> we have a great episode planned for you. We're going to continue our. Uh, team previews here. We're going to be talking about uh, my second play, second favorite team, uh, the team that I chose, and it has been the bane of my existence ever since. It, it really is that whole uh, TikTok theme where it's like men just pick a favorite team at seven years old and then let it ruin their lives. It's very true in this case. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Houston Texans. Uh, Mitch, Houston finished four and 13 last year. Um, in their lone season under David Culley. Uh, they started the season out with a win against Jacksonville before they proceeded to lose eight consecutive games, uh, including blowout losses to Buffalo, Indianapolis, and Arizona. They came out of their bye week with a stunning win on the road against uh, the Tennessee Titans. They followed it up with three more losses to the Jets, Colts, Seahawks, won back-to-back games against the Jaguars and the uh, Chargers in week 15 of this year, 16 of the season before closing the season with back-to-back losses to the Niners and the Tennessee Titans. Obviously big storyline, no Deshaun Watson last season, um, tons of injuries across the board, but the expectation walking into the year was there was going to be no Deshaun Watson QB one stats split between Davis Mills and Tyrod Taylor. Um, But what did you, what were your thoughts on the 2021 Houston Texans? Um, for the most part, it was not surprising. We all thought this was going to be the worst team in the league. Um, and they pretty much were in that category. I think the one thing that really shocked me was the play of Davis Mills. I feel like I'm the only like pro guy on here on the podcast for him because I think he did a pretty good job with the state of the team, the front office, the coaching. Is I mean, he had 2,600 yards last year, completed 67% of his passes, 16 touchdowns to 10 interceptions. And this is all while getting sacked 31 times last year. I think he showed that he can be the guy. And it's just frustrating because I don't think he had the help, whether it was the offensive line, obviously. I mean, his best runner was Rex Burkhead. He does have Brandon Cooks, but nobody besides that. And I just feel like he showed last year he could be the guy. And I think he should be the guy and they should give him the opportunities. But I don't I don't know if he's going to get the fair shake that he deserves. Um, but I feel like Davis Mills and what he showed, especially that that second half uh, stretch really showed that he can be the next guy for the Houston Texans. I I don't know if he can be the next guy. I, I don't. I don't. Well, I don't think he's going to be Deshaun Watson and like top 10, like caliber kind of guy, but I think he can be your starting quarterback. Yeah. And, and obviously he is going to be this, this upcoming season. And he played better than I better than I thought he would play. Um, he played better than a lot of other rookie quarterbacks drafted higher than him. But 
he benefited unfortunately he benefited from one of the simplest offenses in professional football and he didn't get a lot of help it's easy to to take a look at at the stats and say oh well you know these are better than a lot of other quarterbacks you know maybe in a similar tier um but in in the in the games that i watched i was not overly impressed with anything um listen he's he's Matt Shaw, not not even Matt Shaw. He's fucking uh, TJ Yates reincarnated. You know, like he's serviceable. He's he's Tom Savage. He's okay. He's Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's not gonna get like it's never gonna be enough really to get you to the playoffs. It's never gonna be enough really to get you anywhere anywhere big. But if you want to win four to eight games, okay, yeah, sure, that's fine. He's he's gonna be serviceable enough next year. Um, this upcoming season. Like, how do you know that? It's just gut. Like, I just watching I mean, it. I got I mean, nothing. How, I got I no like massive vibe when, when I, I mean, watched. He has no the, defense. Like I said, he's got a shitty run game, one wide receiver, no tight ends, and an offensive line that gave up 31 sacks. And he still put up those kind of, you know, stats. Like, give him the help. I think, like, if you give him the adequate help, like a decent defense and an offense, he can be the kind of guy that can get you to the pl- maybe getting to you to that like Kirk Cousins, Alex Smith kind of level. Um, I mean, I'll tell I'll tell you the number one reason why, and it's one very just specific stat, which is yards per attempt, six point eight. Not it, it was a simple offense, man. It was one of the most simple offenses I've ever seen. It was a collegiate level offense in the NFL. And it had, did it have some success? Did it win four games? Yeah, sure. But we've seen that it's way harder to lose 16 or 17 games in the NFL than it is to win one or even four sometimes. I mean, like we, we all agree fucking Jacksonville was ass. Detroit was ass. And those teams both won what three games. Um, so like it, it, nobody in the, nobody who's in the NFL doesn't deserve to be in the NFL. There's no doubt about that. Davis Mills is just, he's, I, I got no, I got no, no ping off of him. Like just watching it. There was nothing, there was nothing that jumped out at me where I was like, wow, what, like, like what, what, a, what a hell of a play and felt that way consistently. There was no moment where I sat there and I watched, watched him and went, wow, he's really reading the defenses better in week 10 than he was in week seven. Wow, he's really understanding blitz coverage is better. He's really picking this stuff up. He's calling these plays out. I just didn't see any of that. And and yeah, he had decent stats. He had no help. I I get it. I get it. But we talked about the upcoming draft class, and I would be hard pressed to believe that any of the guys in the upcoming quarterback draft class are going to be worse than David Mills, Davis Mills, or are going to be even equal. To, to Davis Mills. I, I expect anybody that Houston would think about drafting as being significantly better than, than Davis Mills. Um, what, what I will say is that uh, Brandon Cooks had another absolute hell of a season. Um, 90 catches, 1,037 yards through the air, six touchdowns. He played fantastic, but no, Mitch, you hit it on the head. There was no rushing help. Uh, Mark Ingram was the team's second leading rusher, and he got traded um in week eight david johnson don't even get me started on why he's still with the fucking team um you he's know, actually not he's a free agent now You're yeah i know i contract. know but when he was oh, when but, he was with the team yeah. last year um uh 
but you didn't really get any other production from really anybody else. I mean, Chris Conley, who you had picked up in free agency, he got you two touchdowns, 300 yards throughout the season. Um, Nico Collins, I thought played really well for them um, last year. It, it, I honestly forgot Danny Amendola was on that team until I uh, fucking just read it right now. Um, but not really anything kind of special to, to talk about, but Houston obviously felt that it was a uh, poor enough performance or that there were other candidates or people in mind better suited to run the team that they fired David Cully. Yeah. That they fired David Cully and ended up being, if I'm not mistaken, being the last team to hire uh, a new head coach. um, Last team. When they hired Lovey Smith, the, Former head coach at Illinois, former head coach of the Chicago Bears, took them to a Super Bowl. Um, former head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, talking about both the Lovey Smith hiring um, as part of it, as well as looking through their free agent moves um, before, not including the Deshaun Watson trade, which we'll get to in a second. What uh, free agent pickups or losses uh, do you feel you want to talk about there, Mitch? Yeah, um, there was like a couple that kind of dumbfounded me. The, and I think for the losses, when I'm looking at it, it's just what they did with the secondary, which I didn't understand. I mean, you, you let Justin Reed go to Kansas City when he's your best secondary player. And then you traded away Lonnie Johnson, who, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought he was a real young and upper I liked him. Cupping secondary piece, kind of like a luxurious knee with the Chiefs. I thought he was that kind of guy for you guys, but you traded him away. I just really didn't get those moves for gutting the secondary, especially the best players who are both guys are young. Um, and I feel like Justin Reed was kind of the leader of that defense after the purging that went on and the face of the franchise left like JJ Watt. Mm-hmm. So I really didn't understand those moves. Um, for the gains, I mean, most of them are what you expect of a bad team, just really washed up guys or career backups to sign. But I, th- I think they did make a couple good signings. The first one, it's got to be Marlon Mack. Um, I know he hasn't played in a couple of years, but the last time he was the starter for the Colts before Jonathan Taylor took his job, I mean, in 12 games, he got a th- over 1,000 yards, eight touchdowns, didn't fumble at all. Um I feel like he'd be a really good starter for you and obviously better than anything you guys had at the running back position. So I really like that uh, move by them. Um, and then I, I I do like that they got A.J. King from Jacksonville. I know that he's had some injury issues. He's older. But for the type of performance that they had from the line, he's a huge upgrade. Um, and I think – with his addition, I think they can get it somewhere decent where you can actually get a good read on Davis Mills play. Yeah. I mean, if he's healthy, like that's, that's just kind of the big thing about Houston's free agent class is that that's, that's just kind of the question that is just sitting in the back of your mind, which is like, Oh, this could be, this could be good if he's healthy, you know, like if yeah. he's, if he, if he's physically able to play, it could actually be, uh, assigning of significance. And that's like, that's how I feel about the Mario Addison signing. That's how I feel about the Jerry Hughes signing about the AJ Kane signing about um, the uh, Jalen Reeves Mavis signing. Like if they can get 
consistent starter snaps and can play 70 or 80% of snaps. Like this could be, this could be solid. This could be guys who could make a real difference, but that's a huge what if on a team that is already expecting to be sub six wins coming into the season. The one signing that I do, I do really like is the Steven Nelson signing the, the corner out of the Eagles. Um, that's, that's really the only one that I look out at and go, okay, that, that I feel like that's significantly better. The Lonnie Johnson trade. Uh, so honestly, the Steven Nelson signing looked better when Lonnie Johnson was still on the team. Now that Lonnie Johnson has been traded, I don't, I don't quite understand, but that's sort of the point with a rebuilding team is that you don't really understand where they're going with this. Um, but then also just a shout out to one of my favorite former uh, Badger players, Daria Gunbawale, being yeah. signed to the running back room. Absolutely. Um, and there's other guys on the list that I do really like. I mean, Blake Cashman, the linebacker of the Jets, he's undersized, but he was dominant in Minnesota. And when he had a, uh, some starting opportunities with the Jets, he played really good at interior linebacker. Um, Deshaun Hamilton, the wide receiver uh, previously from Denver, has not played really a ton. But every time I've seen him play, even going back to college, I really liked what I, I liked what I saw on the uh, on the field there. For losses, obviously the big one is uh, is Justin Reed. That's that's the big one. But outside of Deshaun Watson, but sort of the bonus to being a rebuilding team is that frankly they can't get that much worse. And unlike when they were rebuilding towards the end of the Bill O'Brien era, the uh, Houston Texans now have first round draft picks aplenty. So let's talk very quickly about the Deshaun Watson trade. Um, Houston sent Watson and a 2024. So a next year or two years from now, actually um, sixth round pick to the Browns in exchange for first round picks in uh, the 2022 draft, the 2023 draft and the 2024 draft, along with a 2023 third rounder and fourth rounders in 2022 and 2024. Uh, Cleveland then turned around and signed Deshaun Watson to an absolutely massive contract. Um, but Mitch, speaking from the Houston side of it, feeling pretty good about what Houston got out of the Deshaun Watson trade? Yeah, I think they got excellent value for Deshaun Watson, all those first round picks. Um, but I think I have the same hesitations that you did when uh, Jamal Adams got traded to the Seattle it's like they got all these picks, but how are they going to spend them? And I'm, I don't know how I feel about this front office, especially Nick Casario. Um, just given how, you know, they signed David Culley, they give him one year and then they can him and then they bring in Lovey Smith and then just some of the personnel moves. Um, I just don't know if they're going to use the great value that they got with those picks to sign meaningful guys and, you know, you really don't see the direction yet of what they really want this team to be. So I do think they get, obviously, with the amount of picks, I think it was the right amount, but I just don't know if they're going to spend it wisely. No, I think that that's, I think that that's completely fair. Um, and, and here's the thing is that like, we've seen, we've seen these massive blockbuster trades where there's the one team that we put that contingency on, right? The, well, what are they going to do with the pick contingency? And obviously the Jamal Adams one kind of is still a little bit too early to tell given the, the early parts of the career, some of those Jets players, 
But if I go back and I look at like the Khalil Mack trade, nobody won in that trade. Nobody did. The Bears weren't in the long run a better team for having Khalil Mack. And the Raiders blew those uh, additional first round picks and even those additional, I think, second round picks into absolute nothingness, you know? So this could be massive for Houston. We'll talk about who they drafted with those, with that first, or with some of those picks here in a second. This could be massive for Houston, but it's all about finding that talent. And that's what we don't know out of this front office right now. We don't know, have they, have they been able, given that they were the last team to draft a coach, given that the amount of turmoil and off-season moves, given all of these things, how focused on developing players and finding guys who are going to make the team that much better, finding those grains of sand that matter. Um, have they been able to, to, to put into this process here and to, and even to what extent of a rebuild is Houston going through? Because if you ask anybody in Houston, it doesn't seem like it's really that big of a, a rebuild. It seems like it's more of a retool in their mind. But if you ask everybody else around the league, it's an absolute necessity and a much needed rebuild. And the moves that they're making, especially in free agency there, it just didn't, it didn't make sense. It's hard to get a beat on what the long-term plan of the Houston Texans is. And because of that, it's really hard to say that Houston really got anything of value out of the Deshaun Watson trade at this point. I think in the long run, they will, but, this is going to be one of those where, where we may not know who won this trade until five or 10 years down the line when we can look back and say, okay, are these first round picks even still with Houston? Is Deshaun Watson even still in Cleveland? How has these two franchises gone afterwards? It's not, it's not going to be like the Jamal Adams to the Jets or to the Seahawks trade where pretty much immediately we went, okay, yeah, this team is bad. Like this, this trade was bad for everybody involved, the Jets, because they have to draft first round picks now and the Seahawks, because they get rid of everybody and their defense isn't even that much better, you know? So, mm -hmm. and again, we'll talk about the, uh, the Deshaun Watson and the, uh, sorry, the Cleveland Browns aspect of that trade when we do our Browns episode here um, in the future. But Mitch, before let's... we go on, I have a question for you. Yeah. Hit me. Um, well, actually, give I me one, give me one. Yeah. All right, hit me with your question, bud. Yeah, so since this is your team, and I feel like we need to talk about this to understand, like, the franchise and stuff, um, how do you view the hiring of Lovey Smith? Do you think do you think he can be or is the guy for them, or do you think it's more of uh, a PR hire after the fallout of um, looking like they really wanted Josh McCown, who hasn't coached a day in his life, and – they hired him as uh, to cover up the fallback for that. Yeah. Um, I think that, so the second part of what you said, the fallback for the Josh McCown uh, interest, um, I think that's definitely part of it. I'd say it's like maybe 30% of it, really. I think Houston did have guys that they genuinely wanted, but I think Houston came to the realization that, like all of us did a lot earlier, which is that realistically 
no one is going to pull the trigger on the Deshaun Watson trade until stuff is somewhat settled. And there were rumors, you know, discussions about, well, there was a, there was a deal in place with Miami earlier in the season. And from everything I've heard, that's, there were calls that were made, but nothing was remotely set in stone um, earlier in the year. What I think Houston just came to the realization that because the Deshaun Watson thing was going to continue to be unresolved for a long time, that they couldn't with any real faith hire a head coach with a five-year plan because that five-year plan is going to be dependent on whether or not Deshaun Watson is still on the team and still collecting a paycheck from the Houston Texans. Because remember they paid him for last year, you know? So I think that that's a huge part of it. I, to me, Lovey Smith is a placeholder coach. I, I, I think that again, he's going to have one year, maybe two years if they don't like a quarterback in this upcoming draft. And then he's going to be, he's going to be gone. Um, you know, we thought, we thought maybe it might be Eric B as, as a way to keep Deshaun Watson in Houston, but now stuff has come out about B Um, we thought maybe Brian Daybell from Buffalo, but that didn't work out. So it, there's, there's plenty of other talented coaches who I think can be, can be successful in this position. I don't think Levy Smith is one of them. He's just, he's simply not a good coach. He's just not a good coach, not, not a good long-term coach. I think he's good for whipping a program. I'll say into competitive shape, like into the point where games are semi competitive and that's what Houston is hoping for right now. But if you're trying to build a long-term plan, Lovey Smith isn't your guy to do it with. You have yeah, any thoughts um, on him? Yeah, I think he he can. I mean, you brought it up. He did take a team to, uh, you know, a Super Bowl. And I do think that if you're able to take a team to a Super Bowl, whether it's once, um, I think that you automatically can't be a, a bad coach because you're able to do it. Um but I just worry how this team is going to develop if they're training out coaches every one to two years. I mean, David Cauley, we all didn't like the hire, but we, he should have gotten more than one year because how can you really tell what kind of job he's going to do? And if, and if you're right and Lovey Smith is, you know, he's only here for this year or the next two years, I just don't know if that's a really good idea, how you're going to develop anyone if you're just churning out coaches and new schemes every one to two years. No, absolutely. And I, and I completely agree with you. And listen, I, I agree to a certain extent that if you're a head coach who takes a team to the Super Bowl, that you deserve a certain amount of respect because you absolutely do. But let's guys, let's not like, let's not pretend that it was a Super Bowl of recent memory. It was 16 years ago that he took a team to the Super Bowl and he never got within sniffing distance again. Uh, except for 2010. Sorry, I think that was still Lovey Smith in 2010, but I don't remember for sure. Um, like he he took a team that had, uh, to my knowledge right now, and I know for sure one Hall of Famer on defense and possibly two or three other Hall of Famers on defense. And they lost the Super Bowl. And it wasn't even like it was a 29 to 17 Super Bowl. It was not by any means a close Super Bowl. If you go back and watch it, I have vivid memories of it. It wasn't a close game. Hester took the first kickoff for a touchdown and the rest of the game was the Colts, but it was the best halftime show ever. Prince doing purple rain in the rain. Awesome. Awesome. Um, but this guy has been 
unsuccessful for the rest of his career at the NFL level, and he's been unsuccessful at the collegiate level. I, I don't understand how he's anything resembling a long-term solution. I agree with you in that you're not benefiting yourself by bringing in different coaches and different systems every year or two. Um, but outside of some of the guys that they drafted in this year's draft, I don't think anybody on the roster right now is meant to be there in two or three seasons, if that makes sense. I think Houston's yeah. going to continue a full roster turnover in the next couple of years. Even though they re-signed Brandon Cooks to a two-year deal, I don't believe he plays out all two years of his, his contract. Out. But let's move on to uh, the Houston Texans uh, draft grades. Um, we'll start off with the number three overall pick. They took Derek Stingley Jr., the corner out of LSU, with their first-round pick from Cleveland at 15 overall, they took Kenyon Green, the guard out of Texas A&M. In the second round, they went for Jalen Petrie, my, one of my favorite players, the safety out of Baylor. They also picked up John Mechie, the injured wide receiver out of Alabama. Um, uh, who, Yeah, Mechie was the one who tore his ACL in the SEC championship game, correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay, cool. He got um, first before Williamson. Yes. Williams. Um, they followed it up with another uh, all-star Alabama player taking Christian Harris uh, at linebacker um, in the fourth round. They went Damon Pierce uh, running back out of Florida in the fifth round. They went Tegan Quitoriano tight end out of Oregon state. Uh, they took Austin Deckless, a right tackle out of LSU in the sixth round. And that was their draft. So Mitch taking a look at their, uh, their overall draft. How would you, how would you grade Houston's overall draft? I would give it a B. And it can move up to an A minus, uh, depending on uh, basically the health of Derek Stingley Jr. Because I feel like he makes or breaks this draft. Um, I think he was a risky pick, but I get it. I mean, the potential, his stats in 2019, he had 38 tackles, six picks. He was only allowing six and a half uh, passes to be completed on him. Um, this dude can be an all-star, but we haven't seen that in – three years and he's had some health concerns. So it's definitely a, a risky pick, but I do get it. The upside is all there. Um, I do like getting a guy like Kenyon Drake. He's versatile. You can figure out the best position for him. Um, and it's not like basically oh, outside Kenyon of Green? Blair. Yeah. Sorry. Not You're Kenyon good. Drake, Kenyon Green. Um, but outside of Laramie Tudsel, it's not like anyone else has like a job locked up. So with his versatility, it's nice that you can figure out the best position and show up that line. Uh, adding Jalen Petrie would have been better if uh, maybe Lonnie Johnson's there, or Justin Reed, but I mean, just him and Steven Nelson's going to be hard. Yeah. Um, but I do like their picks of getting John Metching, Christian Harris. They've had some injury concerns, but, you know, coming from a program like Alabama, um, you know, John Metchie and Nico Collins and uh, Brandon Cooks could be a really nice uh, trio for, uh, Mills or whoever the quarterback is next year for the next couple of years to come. Um, and I think Damien Pierce might be a steal. Um, last year he had 790 scrimmage yards, 16 total touchdowns. And the best part is he's only had 329 carries in his entire career at Florida. Um, so to pair up with a guy like Marlon Mack and Damien Pierce is your second guy. Um, I think that a total uh, revamp of the, running game for them. And I think that's going to help them out in uh, the long term. Yeah. Um, I, I give this, this draft grade and a straight a, um, I think that those first five picks 
And the one that I'm least confident in, uh, in is the Derek Stingley pick. Um, you know, when, when you and me watched it, I think I had him taking Sauce Gardner. Um, yeah. But those first five picks to me are all, are all absolute home runs. Listen, if, if Derek Stingley Jr. lives up to, to I'd say, three-fourths of his performance at LSU in 2019, if he's able to be fully healthy, and again, the positive thing about a rebuilding football team is that they can give him the opportunity to get fully healthy. Um, I think he can be an absolute lockdown corner. Kenyon Green is a guard who can easily switch over to, to center, I think could feasibly switch over to tackle. Um, he's a big, powerful guard who is going to be lined up. Uh, he's just, he's, he gives me, um, he gives me Josh Sitton vibes from, mm. from Green Bay a long time ago. And that's, if you're not a Packer fan, you probably don't even recognize, remember who Josh Sitton was, but that's, that's who, when I would watch six A&M games, that's who I was reminded of. Um, Jalen Petrie, I've been, I've been talking about this dude since we did our big 12 preview last year like I absolutely adore Jalen Petrie I thought he played absolutely fantastic in the Big 12 championship game I thought he played absolutely fantastic in the Sugar Bowl I thought he played absolutely fantastic throughout the season he's a smart well-coached disciplined physical aggressive player and 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 to me he remind like I think that he can step into the role maybe less that Justin Reed did because Justin Reed was an absolute liability when it came to tackling but more into like what Tyron Matthew did for the Houston Texans before he won his Super Bowl with with Kansas City. I think that's an absolute knockout pick. John Mechie, listen, we're not expecting him. If he plays at all this season, I'm happy. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't. Even if he's fully good to go week five or week six, I would not be surprised if Houston keeps him on the bench for his first full year. But if he's fully healthy, John Mechie was a locked first round pick. If he doesn't tear his ACL he's he might even be a top 10 pick he's probably he might be the first wide receiver taken off the board and so the fact that he he got Houston it fell to Houston's lap at 44 that's man that is a fucking knockout the park Christian Harris man if Christian Harris was two inches taller he'd have been a top 15 pick in this draft like he's an absolute knockout he was dominant at, at Alabama and really his only the big knock that I've only seen out of him um, the like consistent one is is just his size that he's on the smaller end. But this dude ran a four point four four forty yard dash for a linebacker. That is insane. And yeah, when you're a smaller linebacker and you got to play Derrick Henry twice a year, I get it, man. That can be that can fucking suck. But we're seeing that linebackers who have that ability to get into coverage and can cover tight ends and halfbacks, but can also cover wide receivers in the slot that some of those guys are undersized and that teams are willing to give up size so that they have that coverage, you know? And I think Christian Harris fits that perfectly. All the other draft picks. Um, I do. I do also like the Damon Pierce pick that one. I absolutely like, but um, you take a tight end, which you desperately need. And then you take a right tackle and I'm never going to knock a team for taking depth um, late in the late in the, in the grade. And I do like the Austin Deckelis. Uh, uh, pick. He played uh, left tackle um, at LSU, where he played. He played 3,300 snaps. Uh, sorry, not left tackle, right tackle at LSU. He played 3,300 snaps at LSU. That is absolutely insane. He was a consistent starter. He, he's, uh, I think, an underrated player. He'll sit, but I think that he can easily make the switch onto uh, kind of being a consistent backup bench guy. I give this grade, this draft grade, an A, because you know what? Houston is looking to try to build 
as successful a team as they can with as many guys on rookie contracts as they can. And if they draft a quarterback next year, even the year after with some of these key players that they picked, there's a lot, there is a lot to like with the Houston Texans there. Um, The idea of John Mechie and uh, Brandon cooks being lined up is scary. Like that's crazy. Even if it's Davis Mills throwing on the football. So Let's talk. Uh, let's uh, just run through the Houston uh, schedule really quick, and then we will uh, go over our predictions for the team. Uh, they're going to kick the season off week one home against the Indianapolis Colts before they go back to back road games at Denver, at Chicago. They come back home against the Chargers, go to Jacksonville before a bye week in week six. They come out of their bye with uh, a road trip to the Raiders. Uh, then they have home games against the Titans and the Eagles before they go to New York uh, to face the Giants. They come back home against the Commanders, go to Miami, home against Cleveland, at Dallas, home against Kansas City, at Tennessee, home against Jacksonville before they close the season at Indianapolis. So not by any stretch of the imagination, an easy schedule and a brutal four-week stretch there with games against Cleveland, Dallas, Kansas City, and Tennessee. But 4-13 and last year, first-year head coach, well, not first year, but first year with Houston head coach, Lovey Smith, second year, Davis Mills, a lot of those rookies we talked about, some of those other pieces. Mitch, how do you have the uh, Houston Texans finish it next year? Um, I'm going to have them doing one game worse. I have them at three and 14. Um, there's definitely some winnable games. Uh, you know, they play the likes of the Giants. I think they could definitely beat them. You know, they get the Jags twice a year. I think they could split the series and with, for some reason, you know, how the Colts play the bad teams in their division, they could definitely – it's possible they split that too. But otherwise, you know, I just don't see it. Like you said, they have this insane run at the end where, you know, Cleveland, Dallas, Chiefs, Titans, all contenders of their conferences, um, you know, they have to play the, the Chargers, the Russell Wilson-led Broncos, um, the Eagles who now have A.J. Brown – the Dolphins who have Tyreek Hill, there's just not a lot of winnable games. Um, And with the new system uh, coming in, uh, I think this is just going to make things a little bit harder than it could have been if you kept uh, David Culley. So I think they're going to do worse. Worse. So three and 14. Um, Yeah. I have them actually going the exact same record. I haven't won in four games. I think that they're going to split the series against, Uh, Jacksonville, and I think they're going to split the series against one other AFC South team, whether that's Tennessee, who I do think has gotten, is taking a step back this offseason, but we'll get to them much later on. Um, And Indianapolis, who, you know, on paper has done a lot of things right, but Indianapolis has kind of been a serial underperformer in the years since Andrew Luck has left. Um, There is, there's just so many games where I don't know what kind of team we're going to get. I mean, the Chargers might be the most inconsistent football team in the NFL the last couple of years. The Bears, depending on who you ask, could be 11 and 5 and could be 5 and 11 or 5 and 12. Uh, sorry, could be uh, 11 and 6 or could be like 5 and 12 at the end of the year. Nobody really fucking knows. Uh, I think the Giants game is, an, is a very winnable game. Um, I think that the Washington game is very winnable. But then, yeah, that end, of, that end of season stretch at Miami, home against Cleveland, at Dallas, home against Kansas City, at Tennessee, that is brutal um and so it's it's going to be hard for a team trying to get their feet under them trying to end the season on a high note to get through that stretch so i think they're good enough to probably win four games given that at some point in the season some star player for 
a team that they're playing is going to go down and it might just be the thing that gives Houston one or two easy wins. I do think that as a whole, this Houston team is improved and I think it'll be a much better looking four and 13 team just because we'll see a lot more out of some of those rookies that are playing, but all in all, it's not going to be a ton room for improvement. There's lots of other things that Houston needs to do in order to be successful going forward here. Um, And it's, it's really just going to kind of be up to Nick Casario and the organization to figure out what direction they're heading in and whether or not they're doing it in a timely and effective manner, you know? Um, So uh, we don't have Skyler. uh, So we will, uh, we're not going to do a hero in our putts for uh, this episode. Um, We are going to be recording a uh, NBA episode here shortly afterwards to talk about the Eastern and Western conference finals recaps and uh, looking ahead at the, uh, NBA finals where the Warriors will play the Celtics. Um, so we'll be talking about that on our next episode. Hopefully Sky will be able to join us for that. We thank each and every one of you for listening. Uh, please follow us on everything, uh, Spotify, Twitter. We got some polls that are up in regards to Twitter. Uh, follow us on, uh, uh, anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. We're on, I believe, uh, Google podcasts or radio now, um, we're on a couple of things. Follow us and email us your guys' thoughts. SP at gmail.com. That is F-O-U-R-T-H string S-P at gmail.com. We appreciate and love each and every one of you. All love. Much love. Good night, everybody.